Hey, Pastor Josh here. Thanks so much for watching our videos. If you'd like more information about Legacy City Church, you can go to LegacyCityChurch.com. Please don't forget to like, subscribe, and hit the bell below. God bless you. Matthew chapter 22 in our Bibles. We're going to cover just six verses today, okay? What do you say? Is that all right? Six verses today in Matthew 22. This is sermon number 89 through the book of Matthew. And the title of the sermon today, if you're taking notes, is King of Kings, Lord of Lords. We're working through a series I've titled Jesus Worldview. And where we look through this comprehensive gospel of the book of Matthew. And uh, it is the most comprehensive of the gospels. It talks about Jesus the most. It gives us the most description of him, the most of his worldview what he sees, what he believes. And we got so many worldviews going around in this day and age. I want to know what Jesus says. I want to know what Jesus thinks. I want to know how he views what's going on in the earth. And so that's what we've been doing, working through verse by verse, chapter by chapter. Heard of a story. Maybe you heard this one. One Sunday morning, a wife was all dressed up and ready to go to church. And she said to her husband, honey, why aren't you getting ready for church? What are you still doing in bed? He says, I'm not going. I'll give you three reasons why. Number one, the people at church are cold. Number two, no one likes me there. And number three, I just don't want to go. So there. The wife replied, well, I'll give you three reasons why you should go to church, okay? Number one, the congregation is actually warm. The people are great. Number two, some people actually do like you. And number three, you're the pastor, so get out of bed and let's go. <laughs> that wasn't me this morning. Or was it? There's a lot of confusion today about who Jesus is and who he was in his day and age. There are a lot of questions going around about who Jesus is. Even heard on a Joe Rogan podcast this last week that he asked the man, you believe Jesus is the Son of God. Really? Why do you believe that? And they have a 10-minute conversation about it. Pretty incredible. That people are asking and commenting and wondering about who this Jesus is still to this day because people are claiming that this Jesus from 2,000 years ago has changed their life, transformed them. And even Joe Rogan wants to know why. You ask people on the street, who do you think Jesus is? They'll say, a good teacher. Some say he's a prophet. He was a good guy. But the real question is, what do you believe about Jesus? And what you believe about Jesus is truly everything. It is one of the keys that unlocks the universe. What you think about him, how you view him. And today, Jesus asked these religious leaders in front of him of his day who they think the Christ is. The king of all kings, the lord of all lords, has a clever answer that leaves their jaws on the floor. We are in Matthew chapter 22 in our Bibles. Can we stand for the reading of God's word? We always stand for the reading of God's word to pay honor to him and to remember whose word we are reading. It's not my words. These are Jesus' words. These are God's words, and we look to his each and every week. Verse 41, take a look at the text. It says, now while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question saying, what do you think about the Christ? 
whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. And he said to them, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord? Saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. Therefore, if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? And no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day on to ask him another question. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word again today, and we ask that it would wash over us, that it would renew our hearts, that it would renew our minds, that it would fill us with more of you. We turn to you with all that we have now, and we ask that you'd bless us as we spend time in your word. By the power of your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Remember, we are in the middle of Passion Week in our story. Jesus rode into Jerusalem on a donkey on Sunday. Remember, he was hailed as king. His first act of authority was to clear the temple of the den of thieves. He condemns the broken system of the religious and he curses a fig tree showing the fruitlessness of Israel, God's people. Then Jesus is questioned multiple times by different groups trying to disprove and discredit him here in the Passion Week. The religious leaders of that time hated Jesus because he challenged everything they believed and had built for themselves. The Lord has shut them down with his answers to their questions over and over again. But today we actually see him walk up to them and ask them the question. And when the Almighty asks you a question, you know you're in trouble. You remember Job? Remember Job when uh, he was asking God all these questions and then God turns around and just says to Job, Job, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Uh, you, know, you didn't exist yet because I didn't make you yet. Remember, Jesus has just answered the lawyer's question, the question of the law of Moses, which is the greatest of all the 613 laws. And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with everything and love your neighbor as you love yourself. Jesus now approaches the Pharisees in our text. Take a look. Now, while the Pharisees were gathered together, Jesus asked them a question. Verse 41, this phrase gathered together is the same one used in the previous scriptures to describe each of these groups gathering together to make a plan to discredit the Lord. They could have very well been trying to think of another scheme to attack the Lord and get him arrested right there in the moment because it says the Pharisees were gathered together just as they had done previously and the Lord walks up on their meeting this time. Excuse me, what are you guys doing? Hey, I want to ask you a question. Verse 42, take a look at your text. Jesus says, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? And they said to him, the son of David. Big question, okay? It comes from a couple different angles. And first, he asks, what do you guys think about the Christ? <clears throat> now, you have to remember, Christ is not Jesus' last name, okay? Jesus Christ, that's not his last name. Christos, Christos, Greek, it means anointed. 
The Christ means the anointed one or Messiah. What does the word Messiah mean? Mashiach. It is the Hebrew for the word anointed, anointed one. So Messiah, Mashiach, Hebrew, is anointed. Christos, Greek, is the word anointed, the anointed one. They are both phrases for the anointed one. So Jesus asks, what do you guys think about the anointed one? Now, I'm sure the Pharisees' ears perked up because this is no doubt their favorite discussion for debate. They've been talking about this for centuries, debating and discussing back and forth who the anointed one will be. When will he come? What will he do? And this is what the Lord is asking on the surface, but because we have insight to the whole story, we know the one asking them the question actually is the Christ. Isn't that amazing? But you have to put your mind... In the mindset of the Pharisees, they didn't actually know. And they didn't believe in him as Messiah. So again, get your mind to a place of seeing Jesus is asking a very normal question of that day. Everyone in that day would ask the religious leaders this. Who do you guys think the anointed one is? Who is the Messiah? Do you see him around here? When is he going to come? What will he do and accomplish? But Jesus was going to trap them in their own debate. So with that context here is the full question from Jesus. Take a look at your text again. He says, what do you think about the Christ? Whose son is he? Who is the Messiah, the Christ, the anointed one's father? Who is the anointed one's father? Whose son is he? They give the textbook answer, he is the son of David. Most, if not all, religious Jews in that day believed that the anointed one, the Christ, would come from the lineage of King David. Yes, the giant slayer. And they hoped the Messiah would have the same military force of King David to war off the Goliath of the, the Romans. David was to be the great, 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 great grandfather of the Messiah. And this is the Christ. So they say the anointed one is the son of David. Jesus knew they would give this answer, and he was setting them up. They were playing checkers. He was playing chess. He sets up a pawn only to attack their queen from the side. Verse 23, he said to them, okay, then how does David in the spirit call him Lord, saying, and we'll read that in just a second, if Messiah, here it is, if Messiah is the son of David, why does David call his own grandson Lord? Why would he do that? David writing by the Spirit of God, which these Pharisees would agree, but they somehow missed the small details in Psalm 110, written by King David. Here it is. Jesus quotes Psalm 110 in your text, verse 43. Then how does David in the Spirit call him Lord, saying, the Lord said to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. Therefore, if David calls him Lord, how is he his son? So a little play on words here and a tight question. The room is getting tighter on these Pharisees. 
Jesus quotes the scriptures, nailing this idea down, Psalm 110, verse 1. Here it is. What father would call his own son Lord? Especially a king calling his own son Lord makes no sense because after all, the king is the king. The Pharisees can see the writing on the wall. How can David call the Messiah Lord? Now whose son really is the Messiah? Let's break down the text further. Psalm 110, you can turn there if you want to. If you don't, you can just listen. But this is what's happening in the text. Watch this. The Lord said to my Lord. You got that? The Lord said to my Lord. Very important. Two uses, yes, of the word Lord there. The English is not very helpful. The English, we say uh, like, like the word love, you know. Um, there's all kinds of different words uh, for love in the Greek. And for English, we just have one, love. I love in and out I love my dog. I love my wife. Yeah, completely different meanings, right? But we have one word. The same thing here with Lord. We are locked in this word Lord here in the English, but there's actually two different words under this saying, the Lord said to my Lord. The first word Lord here is the word Yehovah, the name of God, Yahweh, the ultimate name of God is right here in Psalm 110. The Lord or the name of God, God said, so Yahweh God said to my Lord, God said to my Lord. The second mention is a different word for Lord. It is Adon. Adon, shortened from the, the, the root word Adonai, many of you know, which also means Lord. It's found in Deuteronomy chapter 6. So with that being in mind, we see the word for God's name mentioned first. God said to my Lord, whose Lord? David's Lord. God said to my Lord, David's Lord, what? So the text says, God Yahweh says to my Lord, Adonai, David writing about this interaction, sit at my right hand until I put your enemies beneath your feet. Don't worry, I'm going to translate all of this for you, okay? Some of you feel like you're in math class, huh? God tells, David's, God tells David's Lord to sit at his right hand until all of the earth is under his feet, or until Messiah has authority over the whole earth, until he rules and reigns. So final breakdown and translation. Here it is. Jesus says, who is the Messiah's father? They say, King David. Jesus says, then why does David call the Messiah Lord if he is his son? And they think, where does he do that? Then Jesus quotes David as he wrote, God said to my Lord, the Messiah, come sit at my right hand until I give you all of the earth. This is blowing the Pharisees' minds. Now the deeper question, are you ready? If David is not the Messiah's father, then who is? God. And if God is the Messiah's father, then who is the son? Jesus. Bingo. Who has been calling himself the son of God this whole time before the Pharisees, and they've been wondering, why does he keep calling himself the son of God? Why does he keep saying this? So he is the Messiah, and they are looking right into his eyes. Basically what's happened is Jesus has proven that he is the Son of God and the Messiah whom they have been rejecting and they're staring right into his lies. 
Who's the Messiah? He asked the Pharisees. Oh, it's the son of David. Well, then why does David have a Lord who is Messiah? What do you mean? If David has a Lord who is Messiah, then who is that Lord's father? That's the root question of what he is asking. And he concludes that it is himself. And this is what happens. Their reaction is absolutely hilarious. Verse 46, no one was able to answer him a word, nor did anyone dare from that day to ask him another question. Again, remember back to the beginning of what I was saying. This entire text here is something, a discussion that has been happening for hundreds of years, centuries. Who is the Messiah? Who, 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 he's the son of David. Okay, where is he going to come from? What's he going to do? They had all these ideas, and Jesus shows up and literally closes the case in front of their eyes. And they sit there with their jaws on the floor and just say, you, you, you want to ask him a question? I'm not going to ask him. You could ask him if you want to. No more questions. So yes, Messiah is both the son of David and the son of God. Jesus is in the bloodline of David, but also the bloodline of God, for he was virgin born. Now, this is Bible nerd stuff, but it's in our text, and so I'm not going to pass over it, okay? But I want to give you a couple points of application before we close. Number one, Jesus is God the Son. And he was proving that to these Pharisees right before them, and immediately in their mind, when he saw them do that, he took Psalm 110 and he applied it to himself. He is the Lord that David is talking about. As soon as they saw that, they immediately thought, blasphemy. We're going to have this guy arrested and killed. Jesus is God the Son, the second person of the Trinity. If you're taking notes today, all religions in the world deny this except Christianity. Did you know that? If you ask any religion in the world, who do you think Jesus is? They will always say one of two things. He was a good teacher or he was a good prophet. That's it. They may even give him title of Messiah, but they will never, ever, ever point to him as being God. And this is one of the single ways to point out a cult in our day and age. All cult religions that try to copy Christianity always leave out this one thing. They always will never say that Jesus is God the Son. They'll never do that. Acknowledge him as God is a big no-no for them. The word Trinity is a term used to denote Christian doctrine that God exists as a unity of three distinct persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Each of the persons is distinct from the other, yet related in essence. From our legacy doctrinal statement, which can be found on our website, little commercial, we believe that there is but one living and true God, an infinite, all-knowing spirit, perfect in all his attributes, one in essence, eternally existing in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, each equally deserving worship and obedience. Jesus is the Son of God, making him equal with God, which makes him God as well. If you were the Son of God or the daughter of God, guess who takes over the throne later on? Guess who steps into position of God and or deity is in your blood. 
They talked about this in John 5, verse 18. For this cause, therefore, the Jews were seek, seeking all the more to kill him because he not only was breaking the Sabbath, but also was calling his own father God. He was calling God his own father. Here it is, making himself equal with God. We see in John chapter 1, verse 1 and verse 14, it says, In beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And then verse 14 says, And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us. In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, and then one day the Word, who was God, became flesh and dwelt among us. Who is that? That's the Lord Jesus. He is God from eternity's past to now. John 8, 24, I said therefore to you that you shall die in your sins, for unless you believe that I am he, Jesus said, you shall die in your sins. If you don't believe who Jesus says that he is, the penalty is death in sin. That's pretty radical. You have to get Jesus right. In John 8, 58, this is, this is, the Jews got really mad at that. All the religious got so angry at this. They picked up stones to try to kill him after this one. Because in John 8, 58, Jesus said to them, he says, Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was born, I am. Now, the Jewish listener knows exactly what he's doing. He's quoting the days of Moses, Exodus 3, 14, as God said to Moses, God said this to Moses. Moses, tell them, tell them this is who sent you. I am who I am sent you. Tell them I am who I am. The Almighty God sent you. <clears throat> and when Jesus shows up, he says, you want to know who sent me? You want to know who I am? I am. I am. Before Abraham was even born, I am the Almighty. That's a wild statement, and they picked up stones. Don't want to kill him for that. In John 20, 28, Thomas answered and said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. Thomas, one of his disciples, calls him my God, Jesus. In Colossians 2, 9, it says, for in him, Jesus, all the fullness of deity dwells in bodily form. All of the Godhead, all of the ability, all of the deity of God dwells in him in bodily form. Philippians 2.5 says, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, but did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men, being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. God Almighty stepped out of heaven, came down to the earth, became a man so that he could come and lay down his life for his people to pay for our sins so that we could have a relationship with him, go to heaven when we die. This is the whole story. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 8, the nail in the coffin. But of the Son, he says... Thy throne, O God, is forever and ever. And the righteous scepter is the scepter of his kingdom. The case for Jesus being Almighty God with skin on is airtight. It's absolutely there in the text. And this is an essential doctrine of Christianity. This is what separates people from, from true Christianity. 
And when you let this one go, this is stepping outside of those bounds. Plain and simple, Jesus is God with skin on. It's not even shocking to some people on the street. You walk up and be like, do you know that Jesus was God? What? Yeah. He was God with skin on walking the earth ministering, loving, showing us how to live, showing us how to serve. Now, if God put skin on and showed up on the earth, I thought he'd be rolling up in a Rolls Royce. Gold chariots at least. No, he comes and is born in a barn. He has no place to lay his head. He's a carpenter. He lays down his life for people. He said, I came not to this earth to be served but to serve you and give my life a ransom for you. Amazing. If you've seen me, Jesus says what? You've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you have seen God the Father. For he is God walking the earth. Point number two, if you're taking notes, Jesus is not only God the Son, but Jesus is the Christ, the Messiah, the Savior. He is the Savior we've all been looking for. Did you know that? Did you know it's not the President? Ah, oh, you can't say that. Did you know it's not the Kings or Queens? It, they're not going to save you. Jesus is called the Savior in the text, so you got to stop looking for everybody else around to save you. No one's going to save you. Jesus is going to save you, for he is the Savior. He is the Messiah. He is the Christ. He is the one come to save his people from their sin and save them from death. The two greatest things we've got problems with on the earth, sin and death. Matthew 121, she will bear a son. You shall call his name Yeshua. The Lord is salvation. Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. His whole mission is to come and save you, save me. So if you're looking for saving, Stop looking around everywhere else in the world and go to the Savior. Luke 2.11, today in the city of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ the Lord. John 1.29, the next day John saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Look, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, who saves the world from their sin of hurting and hating each other. There he is. He is the Savior. Romans 10, 9 and 10, but if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. 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 For with the heart one believes and is justified and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. He is the Savior. He is the one come to save you. Your therapist can't save you. Sorry. Your doctor can't save you. Sorry. Your family and friends can't save you. Nope. There is only one who can truly save you and redeem you and make all things new. It's found in him. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him would not perish but have eternal life. 1 Timothy 1.15, Aaron quoted it up here on the pulpit. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of who I am the foremost. He came to save sinners. We got any candidates? Whoops. <laughs> 
For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All are candidates. God wants to save you from yourself. He wants to gift you with life. The Savior you have been looking for is Jesus, the Savior of the world. He is the anointed one. He is the one who has come to save us from our sin and of hurting and hating each other and God, and he has come to save us from death. Humans are scared of. You know what L.A. needs? Jesus. It's really what it is. You know what everybody on Skid Row needs? Jesus. Everyone. It doesn't matter. You know what the wealthy need? They need Jesus. The famous need Jesus. It's the only thing that will transform, transform the heart and mind forever. And keep transforming and keep drawing and keep growing us closer into love. It's the only thing. You can try all the things. It's not going to work until you come to the Lord. Point number three, and finally, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God the Son. Jesus is the Savior, the Messiah, the Christ. It's not his last name. He's the anointed one. And three, Jesus is Lord. He rules and reigns over the earth. Jesus is King. Philippians 2.9, therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth, and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It will happen. The earth will bow to him now, or they will bow to him then. In eternity, it will happen. Every knee will bow, every tongue will confess him as Lord. The scriptures say, for he is the Lord. He is the king. He is ruling and reigning now. Romans 14, 9, for this reason Christ died and returned to life, that he might be the Lord of both the dead and the living. He's Lord over all. Colossians 1, 16 says, for in him, the Lord Jesus, all things were created. Things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Jesus is truly the Lord over all. He is the creator, and he is the one to be exalted and worshiped. Jesus is Lord and sovereign over all that is going on on the earth. Nothing gets by him. He is the Lord. Jesus is the King of kings and Lord of lords. Amen. Why do I share these doctrines with you again today? Why are we doing a, a deep dive into the person of Jesus? Because, man, we're focused on everything else, and we think it's actually going to help us and make things right. I am telling you. If we get back to the simple message of Christ, seeking the Lord Jesus, walking with him, getting to know him, recognizing who he is and what he's done in your life, that's where transformation happens. That's where it takes place. And it's not going to happen in your life until you draw close to him. He's not an it. It's not an idea. It is a person in which we draw close to and submit our lives to. And so I want to encourage you, church, please, in the name of the Lord Jesus, would you turn to him with all your heart once again?
Would you call upon the Lord to save you in your situation, in your life? Would you recognize that he is in control, that he is the Lord? Would you let your trust rest in him? Would you allow him to be the savior of your life? For he is the king over all kings. All those kings will bow to him. All those lords and queens will bow to him in the end. And praise God, he's our king. We know him. Isn't that amazing? I'm thankful. It's a grace. I don't know how I got here. I'm just thankful. I want to pray with you today and ask that God would do that work in your life once again. That you would acknowledge him as king of all kings, lord of all lords in your life. You allow him to save in areas that you know you need saving. Let's pray and go before him now. Father, we worship you in this place. And even King David, even the great King David called you Lord and submitted himself to you. You are his Messiah. You are his Savior. You are his King. And Lord, we do so now. We do so now, Lord. We lower ourselves. Father, I pray for each and every person in this place, whatever they're working through, whatever they're struggling with, that they would make you Lord, that they would make you Savior, they would make you King over their lives once again. They would choose to acknowledge that within their hearts even now that you alone, Lord, can save me. You alone can save me from what I'm working through. You alone are working in my situation as Lord and King. You are sovereign in these things. You know what you're doing. You have a plan. You know what you're up to. Forgive us, Father, for turning to all these other things in the world, expecting them to heal us, expecting them to save us, expecting them to do some work. We trust in you and you alone. And I pray that this great trust in you, Lord, would cause our lives to be new, cause our lives to be remade, resurrected, life in that abundant need here on this earth. Cause us to love those around us for your glory. Thank you for being our Lord. Thank you for coming to save us and not leaving us in our sin. We love you, Lord. You are the greatest king forever. We worship you in this place. We do it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Amen.